Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Abundant Life. Great to see you once again. All you down at the crossroads, we are excited you're down there, even though we're right here, we're all together in one place at one time. And so launching our crossroads campus, I shared last week, we're launching also a brand new series, which we did Easter weekend called Fountain City. A lot of people live in Kansas City a long time and don't realize that they live in the city of fountains. Like we're really special. We've got more fountains, I'm told, than Paris, France. We're not flyover country. How many of you guys, yeah, just let, keep flying over, yes, I mean, okay, no. But uh, I do want to have a, a, a special time where we recognize what God is doing and going to the heart of our city in Crossroads, and I can't wait to see you all personally in Crossroads very, very soon. Now, we said last week, there's a real fountain city, the city of fountains, and I don't mean Kansas City, I mean the one we're going to talk about today in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, if you have a copy of God's Word. So my favorite fountain probably in Kansas City is this fountain right here at Royal Stadium, yes? I mean, this is probably my all-time favorite. Of all the fountains we could talk about, it's the fountains at Kauffman Stadium that I love the most because, you know, the fountains go off whenever a home run is hit, which means the fountains aren't going off nearly enough these days. But I still remember going to Royal Stadium, and for me, it's still Royal Stadium. After all these years, I still can't call it Kauffman Stadium, all right? I mean, that's how far back I go as a Kansas City kid. It was Royal Stadium, 1976. My dad takes me to my very first game. And while I can maybe name two or three players on today's Royals team, I can to this day name the roster of the 1970s, the glory days. I'm talking the OGs of the Kansas City Royals. I mean, George Brett, Freddie Patek, Fred White, John Mayberry, Al Cowens, Amos Otis. I'm talking Larry Gura and Dennis Leonard, Paul Splitorf, Al Hebrowski. Do these names mean anybody in this service at all? Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, I was a fan. And I love seeing those fountains go off every time John Mayberry jacked one to the right side. Listen, that's what I remember as a kid. The celebration would go off. Do you know there's going to be a celebration someday in the real fountain city, the city of fountains? And the fountains are going to flow And it's going to be a celebration, not simply to remember. It's going to be more than a memory. It's going to last for all of eternity. And that's what we're going to talk about today out of the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. 
And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give, here it is, of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. We have found the fountain of youth. <laughs> and it's not in the city of fountains known as Kansas City. No, it's in the city of fountains. It's known as the New Jerusalem. The real fountain city will last for eternity, and it has a name, and it's called the New Jerusalem. Now, last week in John chapter 4, remember Jesus sat with a woman at a well and announced to her that I'm going to give you living water, and when you come to me, you will never thirst again, and out of you will come forth a fountain of water bubbling up into everlasting life. And this was what he was talking about, that one day there's going to be a city of fountains, and that fountain represents eternal life, and it will absolutely last forever. And so this is what I want to talk about today. Now, some might think, well, Phil, why are we talking about the sweet by and by? I mean, after all, we live in the nasty now and now. <laughs> yes, we live in the nasty now and now, which is all the more reason to talk about the sweet by and by. <laughs> we need to keep our eye on the prize. Not this present time, but our eye on the prize. Uh, C.S. Lewis was his name, one of the great thinkers and intellectuals of the 20th century. He was an avowed atheist, but he was an honest atheist. He was an honest intellectual and simply vowed to follow the evidence wherever it would lead. As he began to examine the evidence of Christianity, he followed the evidence to an empty tomb. <laughs> and he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ indeed died, but he rose from the dead. He is alive based on the evidence he became a follower of Jesus. And he wrote these words, and I think this is so good. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. All left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It's only since Christians have ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. You see what he's saying? Let me read that again. It's only since Christians have ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Now listen, it's possible to become so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. But that's generally not most people's problem. Most of the time we're more worldly minded so that we're no heavenly good. In other words, we're simply focused on the here, we're focused on the now. Instead of living with the long view, we live with the short view. And what C.S. Lewis was saying is simply this, listen carefully, to live a life of eternal value requires we live with eternal focus. If you live with eternal focus, you'll live a life of eternal value. But if you live with temporal focus, you'll live a life of temporary value. Nothing you live for will last. It won't last forever. In the end, it won't matter. So it's all about our focus. Will you focus on that which you can see exclusively, or will you focus on that which you can't see that is also reality? It's what Jesus calls eternity. It all has to do with focus, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Looking not at the things you can see, but the things that are not seen. For things that are seen are temporal, but things that are not seen are eternal. We need to live life with the long view, and this is hard to do because sometimes we focus so much on what we can see. But I want you to remember something. It matters not how long you live on this earth. I hope God gives you 70, 80, 90 years. He might give you 100 years. But do you realize 100 years compared to the scope of eternity is nothing but a little speck of dust on the carpet? 
yet we give so much attention to what we can see when what we see is but temporary. In fact, James 4.14 says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. This morning when I was, when I was fixing my hair and I did my hairspray, <laughs> you know that hairspray is a little vapor in the air. Can't, I mean, you can tell, right? I'm no longer, I don't fear a windy day. What are you talking about? It's my hairspray. A vapor just lingers in the air and then it's gone, right? This is what, this is what James says. It doesn't matter how long you live. Your life, is, it's vapor, it's gone, it's vaporized. You're here and then you're not, which means we need to focus on the eternal. What we cannot see is the ultimate reality. It is our destiny. It's what we were made for when God created us and made us. Stop trying to find your treasure in the temporal when God has made you for the eternal. And this is what Jesus was teaching that woman at the well from last week. She had tried to find her treasure in the temporal, the broken, empty wells of this world, when what she needed was living water, the kind of water spiritually, not physically, that would ultimately satisfy her thirst spiritually that God made for her. You see, it says in Ecclesians 3 that God has put eternity in our hearts. It's in our hearts. In other words, deep down we know that we're made for much more. And that is why this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And only when you begin living with an eternal view can you enjoy what temporal things you have to, because you know they're just temporal things. Like this is not heaven. And the frustration comes when we try to make the world heaven and the world is not heaven, the world is under the curse. It's the curse of creation because of sin. And when you begin to recognize that this world isn't our home, we're not staying here very long, you can actually start to enjoy the parts of life that you can actually enjoy instead of always being disappointed because everything falls short and shortly falls apart. And that is why it is so important that we have this eternal view. And so this is what I'm going to talk about today. What will it be like living in eternity? Can you imagine? I mean, everything we know currently is finite, not infinite, meaning we live in this three-dimensional place and space, past, present, and future. But you understand God dwells in eternity, another dimension where there is no past, present, and future. There's just the eternal now. Whoa, dude. It's deep. Yeah, we can't fathom it. Eternity, no past, no present, no future, just the eternal now. I mean, we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound when we've been there 10,000 years. That doesn't make any sense. 10,000 years? What is 10,000 years? What's 100,000 years? See, there's no time in eternity. Yet we're gonna live there and it's gonna be forever and ever and ever and ever, never ceasing, never ending. Can you imagine? Can't hardly yet fathom. But we're gonna try today because we need to live with the eternal view, not simply the short view. And it's really important because most of us have the wrong view of heaven. Like honestly, if you've grown up in church like I did, you're not, you probably have the wrong image in your mind's eye of heaven. Like you, you've been taught that heaven is full of, you know, little cherubs with little stubby wings and they flit about and, uh, you know, we have these white gowns and we float around on little puffy white clouds plucking a harp. I don't know about you, but that does not sound very inspiring. I, I, you know, back in the 1970s, did you know in the 1970s, parents drugged children? They did. 
they drug kids. I was drugged as a child. I got drugged to church Sunday morning. I got drugged to church Sunday night. I got drugged to church Wednesday night. I got drugged to vacation Bible school. And I'd hear the Sunday school teacher talk about heaven, the streets of gold, and you know the mansions. And honestly, I'd be sitting there going, I'm not sure I really want to go there. Because in my mind's eye, heaven was going to be one long eternal church service that will never get over. And I was so bored when I went to church. Will this just get over? Now listen, I'm going to try not to bore you this morning. But even if I bore you this morning, I promise heaven will not be boring. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I has not seen nor his ear heard nor entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them who love him. It's literally going to be out of this world. <laughs> and you will not be bored, I promise. The infinite God is not going to bore you when you get there. And so let's try to maybe with our finite understanding and the limits of human language understand what's going to happen. God is going to first of all create a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Revelation 22 and verse 1. John, the apostle John, the one that was called by Jesus who came out of the grave. Why should we even care what John says? I'll tell you why. Because John was Jesus' guy. Jesus came out of the grave. He said, listen to John. I'm going to listen to John. Yes? That's all the reason I need. Jesus came out of the grave. He said, listen to John. This is revelation of Jesus, not the revelation of John. And John says, I saw a new heaven and new earth coming down from heaven for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now, I need to give you a little prophetic timeline of events. What does this look like? The next prophetic event on God's timeline is something called the rapture of the church where Jesus comes for his bride, you and I. Now you have a seven-year tribulation, Daniel 9, 27. That's not going to be a happy time on the earth. All right, not happy times, <laughs> but the happy times are coming. There's bad news, but then there's good news. And then after the seven-year tribulation, Jesus comes back with his bride. All right, that's the second coming of Christ. Then he sets up a thousand-year kingdom on the earth, literally, physically, where he will reign from Jerusalem as king of kings and lord of lords over the nations for a thousand years, and we will reign with him as the bride of Christ. Revelation 1, 6, Revelation 5 and verse 10, he's made us to be both priests and kings, and we shall reign on the earth. So it's a thousand years, Revelation 20, Revelation 24 times calls it a thousand-year kingdom. At the end of that thousand-year kingdom, time ends, eternity begins. And so at the end of that thousand years, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, that God destroys the earth and the heavens that are with fire, completely nukes it all. And then he creates a new heaven and a new earth the one that will then exist in eternity. Now, why would he do that? I'll tell you why. Romans 8 says all of creation is currently under the curse of sin. Not just the earth, but all of creation, even the cosmos. Job 25 and verse 5 says even the stars are not clean. And so at the end of time, when God is dealing with the curse of sin, he creates a new heaven, he creates a new earth, and that's what we're going to inhabit then for all of eternity. The new Jerusalem will be beautiful beyond description. As the light of God passes through the city, it will shine like diamonds. John says this city has streets of gold that are clear as crystal, clear as glass. Now he's using the limits of human language. He didn't say it's gold. He says it's like gold. What is gold so 
pure that it's clear even look like? I don't know. Nobody has seen it. He's using the limits of human language to try to describe what he sees, streets of gold that are so clear. It's like crystal and the bright white light of God. First John 1, 5, God is light. In it is no darkness at all. Imagine that. It passes through this amazing city and it shines like diamonds. Now, I've got to move quickly. I'm just going to give you kind of a flyover, bullet point, Revelation 21, kind of Revelation 22, and then we'll slow down here in a minute and I'll do some heavier teaching, some deeper teaching. If you want to know more deeper dive, I did Revelation verse by verse several years ago. It's still online and you can go online and, and see this whole sermon I did several years ago a little bit slower and connect some more dots. But imagine the beauty of this city that John now sees, the city of fountains. It shines like diamonds, remarkable, the beauty beyond description. Think with me of the most beautiful place you have ever been. Like one of the most beautiful places I have ever been is right here. This is the island of Santorini. Santorini, it's in the Mediterranean. A number of years ago, I got to go there. I thought to myself, this has to in some way be some little residue of heaven. This thing was beautiful. The Mediterranean, I mean, the water is blue as blue could be. The skies are amazing. The weather is perfect. And I thought to myself, this has to be a little bit like heaven. I mean, not exactly like heaven because everything here is scarred and marred by sin. Just think about the most beautiful place you've ever been. Belton, Missouri. Lone Jack. Now go times a thousand, times ten thousand, times infinity. That's that's what we're talking about. Beauty beyond description. We've never seen anything like it. We can't hardly even fathom it, can't hardly imagine it. The New Jerusalem will have over one million square miles of living space. Plenty of room for everybody. Revelation 21 describes it as a cube. It's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. And the streets are built one on top of another. A million square miles of living space. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place in the city for you. There's room for everybody in this city. Uh, the city is entirely surrounded by an incredible wall made of every kind of gemstone. Now, in picture 1,500 miles high, this wall around this entire city of every type of gemstone imaginable, and the beautiful bright white light of God passes through the walls of the city, flooding the entire universe, the new heavens, with every color of the rainbow. Can you imagine? It's almost unimaginable. The new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth will be pure and uncorrupted by sin. And this is by far the best part of eternity. You know why? Because where there is sin, there is suffering, but there's no longer any sin, which means there's no longer any suffering. People sometimes ask, well, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? Like, you know, they're going to stump us as Christians. Well, you say God is so good, but the world's so full of suffering. No, I'm not stumped by that question. God made people with a choice to choose him or rebel against him. God said, don't rebel, don't sin, because you'll send creation into chaos and confusion. It will lose its perfection. You see, God knew a world without choice would be worse than a world without pain. Humankind chose pain. So now we live in a world of pain, a world that's cursed by sin. But imagine in eternity the curse has been lifted. There is no more sin. 
Revelation 22 and verse 4 ought to be one of your favorite verses in the Bible. It says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have been swept away. Can you imagine, y'all? No stress, no duress, no depression, no need for anxiety, no worry, no animosity, hatred, hostility, division, deception, distortion, dissension. Can you imagine? It's hard to imagine. There's no more curses, no more sin. The curse has been lifted. Can you imagine? This is going to be exactly as God always wanted it from the beginning when he put Adam in a garden and said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's exactly as God always intended. The earth is returning to its former glory. All of history is about man trying to get back to Eden apart from God, but now man is back to Eden because of God and with God exactly as God always wanted when he created Adam's race and said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I mean, think about this for a moment. I've known some hard times in life, and you probably have too. Some sad times in life. Like, I remember as a little boy this very moment. 1977, at the end of the American League playoffs, the Royals were three outs away from going to the World Series. Now I'm telling you, as a little kid, somebody's going, man, you can remember 1977? It does not make me old. It means I just have a lot of memories, all right? 1977, I am glued to the TV. I am cheering for my team. And Freddie Patek grounds into a double play to end the series. And once again, miss a shot at the World Series. This iconic photo of Freddie Patek sitting alone in the dugout. Listen, I remember this moment in real time, 1977, because in my living room, tears are rolling down this little boy's face, my dad trying to console me. We lost. And at this time of my life, like a Royals loss was a major loss. But then you grow up and you realize... That's not a loss. There's real loss. Like, I'm not saying this to get your sympathy because we all, all have loss. But I, I recently, for example, I buried my nephew, 34 years of age, three little bitty kids, three little bitty girls, three weeks ago, 34 years of age. Buried my dad a year ago, buried my mom five years ago. Got two calls this morning before the service even began, of people in our church that I pastored for many years that I know and love that are in the ER right now. I said, well, what's going on with him? He, she said, well, I think we're just wearing out. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. These bodies eventually wear out. People grow old, get sick, and die. The people you love will eventually leave. You know why? Because of the curse of sin. For as by one man's sin, death entered the world. So death passed on all men, for all have sinned. Romans 5 and verse 12, you see this world is full of trauma and suffering and sadness and loss. But one day, all of that's going to be behind in time. And paradise lost is forever going to be paradise regained. As the bride of Christ, we're gonna rule and reign with Christ forever. As the bride, the church is called the bride, we're gonna rule and reign with Christ forever, endeavor, endeavor. Let me talk about that. What will that look like? What does that even mean? 
Well, first of all, listen, the bride of Christ, as the bride, we are promised bodies of immortality like that of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you're not going to have this body forever. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so what's going to happen? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these bodies one day are going to succumb to Adam's curse and they're going to die of something. Maybe old age or something else doesn't matter. They are destined to return to dust. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, the body that goes into the grave is a different body than the one that's going to come out of the grave. The body is sown in mortality. It comes out in immortality. It is sown perishable. It's going to come out imperishable. It is sown in corruption. It's coming out of incorruption. You see, when Jesus comes again, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's coming a day that if this body goes into the grave, that grave is going to be open and the body that went in the grave is coming out of the grave, but it's going to be a different body, the resurrected, glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ that will never grow old, never get sick, never die. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus in this resurrection body, it still was a body. See, it's not some metaphysical existence. It's a literal physical existence. It's a body, but a different body. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, currently we have terrestrial bodies, earthly bodies, but one day we're gonna have celestial bodies, which are heavenly bodies. It's a real body, but it's no longer confined to time and space. I mean, Jesus materialized out of thin air after the resurrection. How would you like to do that? I mean, think about the people you can eavesdrop on now. <laughs> How would you like to walk through walls? How would you like to travel from heaven to earth at the speed of thought? Yeah, Jesus did all that. See, one day you will too, in eternity. All right, think about this. No more bad back, no more bunions, no more bad shoulder. I'm telling you guys, my body wrote checks 30 years ago that's cashing now. Falling, having an, I'm having an MRI next month on this shoulder, football injury, got a screw in it from 30 years ago. I'm finally having an MRI because it is falling apart. That's the nature of these bodies. Eventually, they're gonna fall apart. Imagine this. In fact, I've already decided that I, I'm going to look like this in my resurrected body. <laughs> what do you guys think, huh? <laughs> Finally, the total package. <laughs> hey, think about this for a moment. Jesus was resurrected at 33 years of age. I don't know this, pure speculation on my part. But if we have the body of the resurrected Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, how would you like to be 33 for eternity? I don't know for sure, maybe, to have the appearance of a 33. It's what Jesus was when he was resurrected. Somebody at 25 is going, no, Phil, that does not sound like a win. <laughs> Listen, when you're my age, that's a win, okay? I'm telling you, that's a win. You're in your prime. You're going to have a resurrected body, never grow old, never get sick, never ever die. Revelation 21, 23, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. 
Do you understand that God is light and there's no darkness at all? And when the veil of sin has been reversed, it will be the light of God himself that will illuminate not just the city, but the entire universe, the new heavens. There'll never again be night. It will be forever, eternal day. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Let me share what we just read. Listen, we will reign with Christ over the nations that inhabited the earth during the millennial kingdom and that will then inhabit the new earth in eternity. So Revelation 1.10, Revelation 5.10, he's made us priests and kings and we will reign on the earth. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 17, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You used to wonder what, who we're going to reign over. I mean, what do you mean? what's it mean to reign? There's going to be people, nations on the earth uh, that come out of the tribulation. There will be people that are saved during those seven years tribulation. They follow the true and living Christ, not the antichrist. They somehow survive. They will go into that thousand-year kingdom. Their seed will replenish the earth. And for a thousand years, they will be repopulating the earth, the nations of the earth. And as a part of the Christ administration, as the bride of Christ, we will reign with Christ as a part of his governing administration. Look at Revelation 22 and verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. There it is again. Clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, and each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, everybody do this. Go ahead, online, do it too. All right, because you're going to need to hold, we're, we're jumping into the deep end. All right, we're jumping into the deep end of the pool. In this case, we're jumping into the deep end of the fountain. All right, everybody? Hold your, because it's going to get deep. Hang on. Okay. Most people don't even attempt to connect the dots. I've told you, Bible study is simply connecting the dots as you compare Scripture with Scripture. You have now this water of life, this river of life that flows from the throne of God, fountain of youth. <laughs> now you have the tree of life. The tree of life, it was first in Genesis chapter three in the Garden of Eden, but now you see it in heaven. It's a literal tree. This is not a metaphor. This is a literal tree that gives immortality. And it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. What nations? Not us. By this time, we're still, we're already in our glorified bodies. We're in our resurrected bodies. We don't need healing. We have bodies that'll never grow old, get sick, or die. But think about those that are living in time in the millennial kingdom. They come out of the tribulation, they replenish the earth, they are in their flesh and blood bodies for a thousand years. The reverse of the curse is being lifted, but not completely. There still will be death for a thousand years, though you see the return of the long lives that you saw once in Genesis before the flood. Now what happens? The end of the thousand years, time is over. Eternity begins. 
1 Corinthians 15, 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They still have terrestrial bodies. They need celestial bodies. They still have temporal bodies. They need eternal bodies. What happens? They will eat of the tree of life and gain immortality. Look at what it says in verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Those leaving the millennial kingdom in their temporal bodies will eat of the tree of life and gain immortality. Leaving time, time is over. A new dimension known as eternity. These bodies cannot enter eternity. We need a different body to enter eternity. And while we already have that body, those coming out of the millennial kingdom will eat of the tree of life and gain bodies now of immortality that are meant for eternity. Having eaten of the tree of life, they will gain bodies like Adam and Eve would have had had they not sinned. Bodies that are eternal, yet capable of being fruitful and multiplying. All right, now connect all the dots with me. God puts Adam in a garden, says be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He is to take his seed into the intimacy with his bride Eve, and he is to reproduce the image of God in his offspring, sons of God, not sons of Adam. But when he sinned, his commission was canceled. No longer could he reproduce sons of God. He could not only reproduce sons of Adam. Genesis 5 and verse 3, Adam begat a son, Seth, in his own image, in his own likeness, which is why Jesus said, you must be born again. And when you put your faith in him, you become a child of God because you get back the image of God. Your spirit is now born where Adam's was now dead. All right, now think about this for a moment. Had Adam not sinned at the tree of knowledge of good and evil and passed death onto all of his offspring, you and me, all of humanity, his family tree, God would have taken him to the tree of life where he would have eaten of the tree of life, gained immortality, and been frozen forever like God, holy. And all of his offspring, you and me, would have been born immortal and eternal, no longer ever under the wages of sin, which is death. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with the image of God, sons of God, daughters of God that bear the image of God, that are holy and eternal like God to establish that kingdom that would be without end. But listen very carefully. God had to get Adam out of the garden once he had sinned to save Adam from himself and thereby save us from Adam. Look at what it says in Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil and now, lest he put out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. What if Adam would have ate of the tree of life in his fallen condition? He would have been frozen forever, unredeemable. Frozen forever in his fallen condition under the curse of sin. The wages of sin is death, and all of his offspring, you and I, would have been frozen forever under the curse of sin, unredeemable, yet never being able to die. The wage of sin is death, but you just can't die. Like my shoulder, I can't even sleep on my right side right now. Imagine being a million years old. You think your body's falling apart now. 
Imagine being a million years old physically. You're under the curse of sin. The wage of sin is death, but you can't fully die. It would have been a living hell. So what does God do? I gotta get Adam out of the garden. He posts a guard at the garden, lest he take now the tree of life and live forever in his fallen condition. On the other hand, imagine had he not sinned, he had eaten of the tree of life, been frozen forever in immortality and holy. He would have had sons and daughters that are being born in immortality and holy. He'd have been fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Suddenly the earth is filled up. You talk about overpopulation. No, we're not there yet. But had we all lived forever, we soon would have been. You think God hadn't thought ahead, what am I going to do? I mean, look at all those people down there. They're stacked up like, yeah, I don't. God had a plan. You know what God's plan was all along for the sons of Adam, daughters of Eve? To fill the earth and then all the heavens. Do you know NASA's getting ready for a man or woman <laughs> Mission to Mars. Somebody said, oh, you know, years ago, oh, they'll never land on the moon. They did. Somebody said, oh, they'll never make it to Mars. They will. And if not now, in eternity. The heavens were always created for Adam's race. And one day in the new heavens, they will. In eternity, Adam's race, now redeemed from sin, holy and immortal, will forever be fruitful and multiply, increasing God's kingdom without end. Did you know that right now, physicists know the universe is expanding, even at this very moment? The universe is forever expanding. New stars are being born. New solar systems are being formed. Do you know why? God, God's plan all along was for the kingdom of forever be expanding, forever increasing. Once again, connect the dots with me. Isaiah 9, verses six and seven. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's Jesus. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I want you to notice, it doesn't say simply there will be no end. It says of the increase, there will be no end. For all of eternity, forever and ever, ever. The kingdom is multiplying. It's expanding. It's increasing. You know why? Because in eternity, we will reign with Christ over the nations as Adam's redeemed race forever colonizes and populates new worlds in the forever expanding new heavens, forever increasing God's kingdom. See, you're not going to be bored you will forever be exploring new places and new spaces as God forever in his infinity keeps creating new worlds to be colonized by Adam's race, exactly as God would have through the first Adam and his Eve had they not sinned. I want you to see God's plan is still intact. What sin has delayed, it has not destroyed. What sin has delayed, it has not denied. God will have his kingdom. And check this out, just like Adam and Eve was given dominion, they would have reigned as king over God's creation and this kingdom. There is another Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, connect the dots. That other Adam is known as the last Adam. Adam, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you know that he is a bridegroom? And yes, he has a bride. He has an Eve. It's you and me. 
And just as the first Adam and Eve would have reigned over this kingdom, the last Adam and his Eve, you and me, will reign forever and ever and ever over this kingdom that will absolutely last forever and ever and ever. The Bible is circular. I want you to notice it's not linear. It is circular. It ends right where it began. Paradise lost is paradise regained. Praise be to God. Heaven has finally come to earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Revelation 21, 6, Jesus says, it is done. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. And now he says, it is done. The curse has been lifted. No more sin forever and ever and ever. His kingdom has come. It is done. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, the real city of fountains. No, not this fine city, Kansas City. I mean another city, an eternal city, the new Jerusalem, the city that will last for eternity. What is it? It is the eternal city of fountains, the new Jerusalem, located on the new earth that will be the capital city of the new heavens, universal world headquarters. And God has given you not only a home in the new Jerusalem, but he's given you a throne. Jesus alone is king of kings. He is the high king. But you and I, as members of the bride, have been given a place in his administration from which we will reign forever over the nations. Can you imagine? You guys, you guys remember this moment, 2015? Amen. I experienced this moment with my sons. I experienced heartbreak with my father, and they experienced you know, euphoria with their father. I said, guys, remember this moment, because it may not happen again for another 30 years. Just saying, 85, 2015, 2015, do the math. But can you imagine, here, here in the city of fountains, a million people gathered in celebration, a near perfect day, near perfect. And in some small way, this is just a little snapshot of what will happen someday when we gather in the city of fountains. Revelation 7, from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation around the throne of God, drinking of that pure river of water of life, celebrating that river flowing from the throne of God as we worship together the Lamb of God, verse 27, and there shall be no means enter in anything that defiles it. Listen carefully or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know what this is? Not anyone can come to the city. Not anyone can enter into that city. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So let me ask you this question. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will never see the city of fountains. No sin can enter in to defile it. So if that's true, I want to make sure my name is in the Lamb's book of life, yes? 
This is how you get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. By faith you receive the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You ask him to forgive your sin. You surrender your life to him, and he writes your name in heaven's registry. A citizen of this heavenly city for eternity. Listen very carefully. You will never see the real fountain city apart from being washed in the fountain of Calvary, the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for every person today under the sound of my voice that not one person would lay their head on their pillow tonight without making certain that their name is in the Lamb's book of life. And wherever you're watching from the world, church house around the country, another campus right here in the city, this Lee Summit Auditorium, I'm telling you today, the most important thing, and in the end, the only thing, is having your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. At the end of this service, there's gonna be people at this platform to help answer that question for you. At the other campuses, there's gonna be people at those platforms. Our campus pastor, Kyle, will be on the live stream at the end for those that are online. If you wanna know more what that means, there are people here to answer that question. The most important question, your eternal destination. I pray blessing God over every person today under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? Church, I love you a whole bunch. I hope you have a super blessed Sunday. God bless you. God go with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.